Broadcasting from the island of North America on AMR.FM to the people of the Global South. This is Radio for the Blind, and I am Joshua David McLaren. To whom it may concern, I have seen you walking, mincing, talking, taking everything of yours. I have heard your grand decisions, and I've listened, though it bores. I have heard your eloquence and elegance and beauty fit for kings. I have seen you dance in sweet romance and worn your shiny rings. But what, oh what, oh what am I to do if I, in closets wrapped, am nothing more than hidden clues? Am I to sit and still exist, a whistle on the sly, while worlds created, shot and numbered, go whizzing through your skies? Unlock me, wretch! Your filthy hands have no place on such divinity. So let me out and let the world gaze on in bright solemnity at what you could have always been, though wretched you have turned because your walk without me took you through the pathways of the spurned. Break free, I will. I have always done this kind of thing, you see. And in the end, you will all get yours. Sincerely, Honesty. Chapter 7, The Clockwork Orange Devise In Stanley Kubrick's 1971 Warner Brothers film, A Clockwork Orange, we learn of a fictional new technology being utilized by the British government to influence a captured deviant of society toward a disposition of the government's desired outcome. Once detained, a deviant subject is strapped into something of a chair that is stationed before a screen. This screen fills the subject's vision completely, so that only that which is projected is what the subject sees. To ensure the information on the screen is uninterruptedly conveyed, the subject's eyelids are held open by uncomfortable clamps. A serum is then injected that will activate after a dozen or so minutes, maybe less. The subject, Alex, is then exposed to images of sex and violence, a deviant's true wish, and at first, it is wonderful to him. Yes, he is uncomfortable in the device, but he is also watching what is to him a model life unfold before his eyes. He laughs hysterically at the irony of it all. Then the serum starts to do its trick, and he suffers from a horribly intolerable and quite violent type of malady that remains as such through the duration of his time within the chair. This occurs repeatedly. Always the same types of images, always the same injections, until he begins to mentally associate the sickness of the serum 
to the images of sex and violence. He begins to have an adverse reaction to the images with no injection of the serum given, but a placebo in its place. Once he no longer requires the placebo, but has the same reaction every time to such images, his association is complete, and the subject is considered cured and therefore able to return to fair society, no longer posing to it any threat. This device that cured the infamous deviant character Alex in A Clockwork Orange is sitting in the hands of, and in almost every household of, the people in the United States, even the world. In fact, more than half of American households have three or more of them, and 22% of all humans on Earth have a device that is designed to communicate with our instinctual natures, much like Stanley Kubrick's did within his film. The Mathematics of Modern Humanity It is inaccurate to state that the people of the world have become apathetic to the causes that would find them liberated. It is perhaps more accurate to state that the people are being kept in check by a system meant to maintain a subservient class. This is a global dilemma, not specific to, though well illustrated by, the United States of America. One may simply comb the literature of centuries prior to find the same voice echoing through time, one that claims a certainty and imbalance, one that claims the lives of millions at once in servitude and war. This system perpetuates to keep a certain class beholden to another while touting promises to fill a void created in the lives of the millions that it so imperiously claims to serve. We are told that we have choice, and this statement is quite true, but we are duped to believe that our only choices are the ones presented to us, that we are not intelligent or capable enough to create a list of all new choices, all new paradigms, and an all new way of life that better serves the populace rather than a methodology imposed upon the populace to keep them servants to a chosen few. According to a recent Gallup poll, 70% of Americans hate their jobs. This statistic becomes particularly shameful when one discovers all the mathematics involved. 24 hours a day times 7 days a week equals 168 total hours a week. Eight and three-quarter hours a day sleeping times seven days a week equals 61 and a quarter hours awake sleeping. 168 total hours a week minus 61 and a quarter hours a week sleeping equals 106 and three-quarter hours a week awake. Eight hours a day working plus a half an hour a day for a lunch break, plus an hour a day commuting, plus an hour a day getting ready for work, equals ten and a half hours a day devoted to work. Five days a week working, times ten and a half hours a day devoted to work, equals fifty-two and a half hours a week devoted to work. 
106 and three-quarter hours a week awake, minus 52 and a half hours a week devoted to work, equals 54 and a quarter waking hours a week not working, four and a half hours a day watching TV times seven days a week, equals 31 and a half hours a week watching TV, one and three-quarter hours a day on social networks times seven days a week equals twelve and a quarter hours a week on social networks. Thirty-one and a half hours a week watching TV plus twelve and a quarter hours a week on social networks equals forty-three and three-quarter leisure hours a week with a device. Fifty-four and a quarter waking hours a week not working minus 43 and three-quarter leisure hours a week with a device equals 13 awake hours a week not working or living vicariously through a device three-quarters hour a day shopping times seven days a week equals five and one-quarter hours a week shopping 318,857,056 total American population minus 74,293,694 American children equals 244,563,362 Americans able to work. 244,563,362 Americans able to work minus 92,989,000 Americans out of work equals 225,868,056 working Americans. 225,868,056 working Americans minus 67,760,417 American job lovers equals 158,107,639 job haters. 158,107,639 job haters times 50 hours a week working equals 7,905,381,950 hours a week in misery. 158 million 107,639 job haters times 43 and three quarters leisure hours a week with a device equals 6,917,209,206 hours a week those in misery spend living vicariously through a device. 6 o'clock a.m. Wake up. 6 to 6.45 a.m. Watch TV. Prepare for work. 6.45 to 7 o'clock a.m. 
Prepare for work. 7 to 7.30 a.m. Commute to work. 7.30 a.m. Arrive at work. 7.30 a.m. to 12 o'clock p.m. Work. 12 to 12.30 p.m. Lunch break and social media. 12.30 to 4 o'clock p.m. Work. 4 to 4.30 p.m. Commute from work. 4.30 to 5.15 p.m. Shopping and social media. 5.15 to 9 o'clock p.m. Watch TV and social media. 9 to 9.30 p.m. Prepare for bed. 9.30 p.m. to 6 a.m. Sleep. Of course, the prior statistics will vary from person to person, household to household, but the basic idea should be quite apparent. Now, for some science. Though human beings are sentient, as homo sapiens, we are also animals. Complex though we may be, we retain many of the instinctual characteristics of our predecessors. The instincts with which we are most concerned in this context are three of the several conditions that immediately trigger a fight-or-flight response, namely those involving the effects of light, sound, and movement on our biological systems. When we enter this fight-or-flight mode, our bodies push the bulk of their blood flow to the larger muscles in the arms and legs, preparing us to either fight or flee. Our heart rates go up, our digestive systems stop functioning properly, and adrenaline is pumped into our bodies to prepare us for the choice to come. Our pupils become dilated, and our awareness is heightened so that we are able to absorb more potentially life-saving information all at once. This is all a result of those who learned to run from saber cats, or those who successfully killed the beasts, as anyone unsuccessful in this measure became food, thereby controlling the genetics of all future generations. In essence, only those with these instincts, functioning in a successful manner, were able to procreate. Only the strong survived. Today, though we rarely encounter situations wherein this fight-or-flight response would be necessary, we are experiencing it on a daily basis, often without ever realizing it. As demonstrated earlier, the average American detests his or her job, which accounts for almost half the time that he or she is spending his or her own life. This can be quite draining, as one might imagine or experience on a daily basis. Therefore, the average American is constantly looking to flee from this experience, much as early Homo sapiens looked to flee from an impending saber-cat attack. The average American wakes, prepares for work, commutes to work, spends hours on end pursuing someone else's dream under the guise of pursuing his or her own dream. He or she takes a lunch break, dances with some social media, and gets back to work before commuting home. Often, he or she will stop by the market or do some other type of shopping on the way home before placating his or herself before a television set to be whisked away into a dream life that will never be achieved. He or she will then retire to bed, 
only to start the whole process over again the very next day. What the average American seems to miss, however, is the hand that rocks the cradle, so to speak, keeping them attached to their detestable jobs until the day they either make a change, retire, or simply die, having lived a life quite unfulfilled, always looking to the outside of the cage, expecting some release much further down the line. You see, we are, so many of us, victims of our own technologies, and our technologies are in many ways being used against us in the most lascivious of ways. The human brain is wired so that a flash of light or a sudden noise or movement will engage his fight or flight response. We have become quite attached in our society to devices that do just that, though unexpectedly our televisions, our tablets, our computers, our smartphones, all of these, especially those equipped with headphones or home theater surround sound systems, flash lights, sudden noises, and sudden movements at us, affecting us in this most instinctual of manners. However, we neither fight nor do we flee, but we remain placated, affixed to our devices, absorbing more information, our pupils dilated, our heart rates up, our senses heightened, and we are able to absorb more information all at once. This means that the subtle information we are given, the things we think we do not see, the things we think do not affect us is drilling into our subconscious in such a powerful way as to cause us to believe that the ideas implanted are our own and not fed to us through our several media devices by whomever it may be that puts the small suggestions there for us to absorb. We wake for work, thinking of the new day, hoping for the weekend or a holiday to give us a break from what we loathe. We prepare for work, we go to work, we work and work and work and hate our jobs, we hate our lives. We flip through social media on our phones throughout the day looking for a respite from the punishing monotony of our lives, feeling jealous of the others who present us through our devices a life that seems to be far better than our own. We head home from work. We go shopping, and once we're home, we watch TV, a welcome recess from the lives we wish we didn't lead. While we watch the television, we are given an escape, a dream life filled with color, comedy, drama, and intrigue full of interesting people, places, and a thousand other things that we all wish to someday achieve ourselves, though the quiet, nagging voice remains. He'll be back at work in the morning. As we try to shut it out for the few collected seconds that we have, sometimes we are pleased to watch the stories of the lives of those who are worse off than us, so that we may feel somehow justified that things are not quite as bad as how they seem, that we aren't completely miserable 
for more than a third of all our waking hours. This television device commits to us this dream through steady flashes of lights, through sudden movements, through blasts of raucous noises, while we remain placated before it, simply absorbing all it has to tell us in an instinctually unavoidable heightened state of awareness. Because these are the moments in our day that we consider to be the only time that is truly our own, we affix to all this information something of a positive sense of emotion, almost a sense of accomplishment, regardless of the program's message overall. When our favorite characters succeed, we succeed. When our favorite sports teams or players succeed, we succeed. Our emotions are indelibly attached to our experiences, and because we are reacting chemically to the experience of television viewing, we can often be fooled instinctually into believing that what we have viewed is also what we have experienced ourselves. Anyone who has played an elaborate video game to its fruition, or sat and Netflixed an entire series all at once, can attest to the sense of accomplishment that later seems quite hollow when re-engaging normal life and conversation with another who did not experience this thing as well. While we are in this state of voyeuristic experience, we are absorbing information and agendas that may not originally be our own. However, once again, because we have attached ourselves to this experience, whatever information we may gain without directly noticing it will most assuredly resurface at a later time as an idea of our own. Our dream lives, our television shows, our movies, our video games, our social media fixes, all of these carry with them subversive information that would train us all in multifarious ways. We are told what to do, what to believe, what to buy, what to want, what to wear, what to eat, what we need, what we feel is most important, etc. The power of suggestion. The evolution of publicity, advertising, and product placement has kept in suit with the evolution of technology and the all-or-nothing mentalities of those who present us with these things has grown less caring of its more negative effects upon the population as long as the population will continue feeding its own greed. Perhaps they simply underestimate the power of their pull on us as they often defer to our own sense of choice, often claiming that the public is simply being issued that which the public wants. We absorb all of this information instinctually and it affects us on this level. We watch our televisions so absorbed until our programs end and we retire for sleep, another respite from the wanton lives we lead. When we arise, we go to work and on our way home, we step into a store with bright fluorescent lights above our heads flashing at a rate our eyes can scarce perceive. 
We walk down aisles of advertisements. We see the many products used by our own heroes from the night before. And we are reminded of that dream life that we wish so badly to be living. We feel attached emotionally to these products as we feel vicariously attached to our heroes' lives within the TV shows or video games, etc., whatever that we view. Other products are more blatantly attached to advertisements and we'll often understand our own desires to purchase them as we remember them from advertisements played as commercials in the interims of our dreams. Most of these products have a certain shine to them, often coated in a shiny plastic, so as to reflect the light into our eyes in flashes as we pass them by, reminding us again of our true dream life not the life of misery we just left only minutes before walking in the store that day. We gather all these things into our arms and we feel somehow successful, taking often more than what it is that we require, simply justifying all our several wants as needs, not truly understanding how it is that we are in this way manipulated to perpetuate a system that will keep us more attached to our most dreadful lives of servitude. We buy, we feel connected, we feel happy, and we run home to meet our dream again, attached now more indelibly to the life we wish was ours, feeling well accomplished, though always in a hollow state. What to do, oh, what to do. We must break free from this unending cycle, as it will only perpetuate the misery and the servitude of the masses to a cause that is not in any way the masses' own. The nephew of Sigmund Freud and the father of publicity and of product placement, Edward Bernays, stated in his 1928 book, Propaganda, the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds are molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested largely by men we have never heard of. This is a logical result of the way in which our democratic society is organized. Vast numbers of human beings must cooperate in this manner if they are to live together as a smoothly functioning society. In almost every act of our daily lives, whether in the sphere of politics or business, in our social conduct or our ethical thinking, we are dominated by the relatively small number of persons who understand the mental processes and social patterns of the masses. It is they who pull the wires which control the public mind. 
To know that this was the understanding of the media, of advertisers, of governments long before the powerful onset of televisions and film, long before the inventions of smartphones, tablets, video games, or home entertainment systems, and to think of where we may be today as the application of this understanding has evolved is staggeringly offensive to the individual's decree that he or she is truly free to choose whatever life that he or she may wish to lead. We must begin to remove ourselves from this most selfish onslaught to our senses. We begin by noticing them in our surroundings and thus changing this, our surroundings, to incorporate an atmosphere more geared to our own freedom. We remove the advertisements from our homes, the products that remind us of our wants we have perverted into needs. We shop less. We view our devices more as vehicles of information that will alter our own thoughts if we allow them, and we use them as the tools they are, rather than the escape that has been planned for us. We begin to see there is a hand that waves us over, but we follow it down its arm, unto its shoulder, and we see there is another arm that holds a clenching fist, proverbially punching our own sisters in the gut. We notice things within our programs, like whenever a hero goes through something strenuous, we feel it too. We notice more the sense of relief that comes when our hero accomplishes some great task, after being put through stress, and we notice how, at that moment of success, there is almost always some idea, some notion, some type of branding or other information given to us in subversive ways at the same time, so that we may affix ourselves emotionally to the product or idea or belief that is at that moment being pushed. We step away. We learn to see this beast for what it is, and we find ourselves released from its control. This is how we may begin to upturn the methods of this world that are built to keep the poor impoverished and at war, while maintaining the staunch health of all our overseers, all quite wealthy. This is how we may begin to live the lives that we deserve outside the Clockwork Orange Device.